Quick disclaimer, although what we say is evidence and literature-based, we don't know your personal details and situation. Therefore, make sure you're discussing these things with your doctor. Welcome to the CPR for Life podcast. I'm Sagar Doshi, and this is Zachar Moses. Hello, everybody out there. Thank you for joining Zach and I again today. We're going to be talking about stress today, a shift from our previous topic about sleep. And before we get started, one of the things that helps stress a great deal is the strategy of mindfulness. And we've recently launched a course, both self-paced and workshop-based, from our website. So check it out, cprhealthclinic.com slash mindfulness. Zach, hi. How you doing? You know, it's funny that you should ask because as we were setting up, we just had a disaster of me trying to get physically comfortable and work on my computer and technological issues. So I'm, I'm all right but now. But about 30 <laughs> seconds ago, I was not in a very good mood. <laughs> yeah. Stress can be short term, could be long term. It really depends on how you deal with it. But from this side, I was not stressed. It was all very entertaining to watch this. Yeah. I'm glad I could be of a, you can profit from my suffering. <laughs> I try. Yeah. <laughs> And then, then he just started sneezing just out of the flow. Yeah, you know, it's just, whatever. I don't want to talk about it. It's a <laughs> massive catecholamine surge from my anger. <laughs> Which really just demonstrates the effect stress can have on health. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, I also have allergies. And I probably need a vacuum, apparently, in my house. Oh, well, this was your stress test. Stress test, nice. Or whether you need to vacuum. Well, speaking of stress tests, glad you brought that up. Let's talk about some of the effects that stress has on health so we can avoid having people get stress tests when they have chest pain from all the stress that they have. All right. Yeah, so I, we've talked about this before. I mean, kind of in passing and about all the effects on your health that stress has. And, you know, going through the literature, it's kind of fascinating to see all of the negative detrimental effects that stress takes on people at pretty much every organ system. Um, a lot of biomarkers have been looked at in regard to how stress affects them and either how those biomarkers independently or dependent upon your stress affect health. And so biomarkers, that... just to back it up a second, sure. biomarkers are just blood tests? Is that what you mean? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, you're looking at, you know, your inflammatory markers and we'll get into some of that stuff. I don't want to bore people with all the names of these random things that people look at, which again, sometimes don't even necessarily correlate with health. It's actually fascinating to see some studies look at these these tests and say, yeah, there was no effect on these tests for people who were suffering from stress, but we still know that their mortalities were increased for things. So I think ah. some of the stuff isn't even all that well understood, uh, which makes it even more interesting, I think, uh, that we could say, yeah, sometimes we have a direct pathophysiological link between stress leads to, you know, hippocampal pituitary adrenal axis association with increased cortisol and that people die more frequently from certain diseases but sometimes it's like oh, i don't know we don't know really know what the marker was but people we know die faster if they're stressed so yeah kind of interesting also sometimes we can see the mechanism sometimes the objective measures we use are useful and sometimes they're not right which is we see that all the time that's not necessarily new we that's a that's a common theme in medicine and looking at things that harm people or help people for that matter Mm -hmm. So in speaking about stress, let's just talk about some of the organ systems um, that are affected by, by stress, starting with brain neurologic stuff. So memory, I'm sure you, this is a chip shot, kind of a layup of a question here, but you tell me memory better or worse with, with stress. I'm definitely going to answer worse. 
Yeah, and for the most part, you're right. There's actually some caveats to that. Um, hmm. So that's part of the interesting thing. So you look at uh, just kind of going through through simple anatomy. Your hippocampus is the part of your brain that turns short-term memory into long-term memory. Uh, and we definitely see responses in hippocampal tissue based on long-term stress. So stress and specifically cortisol levels in the blood are kind of related to decreased synapses, neurons, and changes in synaptic terminals. And the reason that that's important is synapses are basically how your neurons communicate with each other. They're the spaces between where your your neurons are sending signals. So if you have good synapses, the connections are very good and you can have rapid communication of signals and well-received signals. If those synapses break down, you have poor response to pretty much any signal that's being sent or the signal's not sent as efficiently. So uh, you actually see decreased neurogenesis in hippocampal tissue and decreased synapse uh, strength and number. And neurogenesis is basically the regeneration of neuronal tissue. So as you become more stressed, your signals aren't sent as well, and you have less neurons, less brain tissue to develop in that area, which makes sense that we'd be poor then at turning short-term memory into long-term memory if the part of your brain that's responsible for that is no longer acting efficiently or is even developed at all. So it sounds like it's shrinking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's interesting that again we this is a, a as we're talking about before an actual direct relationship that we see. So talking about learning, um, your adrenal steroids. So in you know most cases, it's the cortisol comes from your adrenal glands, and that's basically that stuff in the brain gets communicated to the adrenals when they're stressed, and then the adrenals say, okay, time to jack up steroids. And now that's being feedbacked back into the brain. So there's a lot of communication. This is why this is so confusing because there's so many pathways going on and trying to dumb it down to one thing is pretty much impossible, but we do the best that we can here. But uh, after you learn something, so if you you know, go through a lesson and then you become stressed afterwards. So if, what they did is uh, they actually gave steroids to animal models, to animals in, in some of these studies uh, after they would have learned something. And we actually found that those animals learned better if they received stress after learning something. But if you get stressed before learning something, you don't remember it very well. Your recall is actually bad. So it's, hmm. I'm, I try to think of a biological reason why that would be a, you know, an evolutionary reason why that would be. And I kind of struggled, but it's just an interesting thing that if you're stressed before you start learning, you're not going to learn. But if you're stressed afterwards, so I guess if you study and then take a test, you're more likely to cement that memory as opposed to being stressed while you're studying, you're less likely to learn these things that you're trying to study. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Did they compare that with just not being stressed or was it only a comparison between stress before and stress after? I think it was actually compared to not being stressed. So these are actually two different studies. So yeah, they, they, they compared it to not being stressed at all. Do you know what kind of stress it was? I wonder if that matters. I don't recall in that study. I know one of the studies, no, it was an immunity study where they looked at uh, exposing mice to influenza virus while they couldn't turn around in a little tube sounds very pleasant but no i, I don't remember which one the, the actual uh the actual learning was for this one it's interesting i'm just totally brainstorming and trying to come up with something of why that might be important me too so i wonder if you found a place that there is water and it's a really great place and you know maybe you're getting out some dopamine because fresh cold water is just so good and then suddenly something happens. Maybe you're attacked or something. There's some reason that all that comes together. And I know that there is a definitely a relationship for remembering things that are bad. So I wonder if maybe that good memory just goes along for the ride. 
You might think, yeah. Then there's judgment on good and bad too. That's true. That's fair. But yeah, I mean, you might say that, you know, you really want to write in your memory, hey, this is a danger area. And I remember how to get to that danger area, which means I remember how to stay away from it. I don't know. Um, and you had to get to it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't know. I struggle with the same thing. I actually had to read that study like five or six times because I'm just like, I don't really understand why this would be. This makes no sense to me. Uh, but I guess inherently it makes sense. Or maybe it has to do with, you know, your your steroid levels peak in the afternoon. So maybe mm. the thought would be you want to remember most things that happen earlier in the day for some reason. And at the end of the day, when you're winding down to go to sleep, you don't necessarily need to recall that stuff as quickly and easily. I don't know um, if it, there's some biological advantages to be able to learn and store memory that you encounter early in the day better than in the later in the day. I don't know. Yeah. If somebody out there really knows the actual answer to this, if there is an actual answer that has been learned, let us know and we'll share it. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're <laughs> we're open to learning for sure. Definitely. So the next thing is cognition. Uh so how well do our brains actually operate? Uh also formed in the hippocampus of the brain, uh amygdala, temporal lobe, all those things in that the side part of your brain have, have most to do with this. So, as you might imagine, stress good or bad for cognition? Bad. Yeah. Uh this is going to be one of those answers where, you know, sometimes it, but yeah, I'm just going to overall. I, I think in general, the answer is bad. Um, so stress has a couple of different uh, effects on cognition. So it activates your autonomic nervous system. Um, your steroid access, again, is another thing. that I, So in kind of two different spots, so you've got short-term and long-term effects. Uh, you, when you've got your autonomic nervous system, this is going to be your catecholamine response. So when you feel like that, that jittery, shaky, you know, if you get stressed out moment, uh, that's what's going to end up causing that immediate response when, you know, you feel danger, you get shaky, you get tunnel vision, you get all of those things that um, yeah, we kind of... The fight, yeah. flight, freeze, or reproduce. Right. So that's, you know, the acute thing is not too big of a deal because that's pretty short-lived and they're not going to necessarily have long-term effects from that. But when you've got chronic stress, uh, so you've got increased levels of cortisol, uh, your increased levels of interleukin-6, which is another, um, it's what's called a cytokine. It's kind of a cell signal from some cells to other cells to tell them how to behave and how to act. Um, and a bunch of other markers that we don't necessarily need to worry about or get into. But the two ones that I do want to get into is that the interleukin-6 and then TNF-alpha. So tumor necrosis factor alpha is another big one. Those we know have issues with cognitive disorders in the long term. And when you have increased stress from a chronic standpoint, uh, you really get buildup of those two things. And those are going to start causing cognition issues. You get reduction in spatial memory. You get a uh, decrease in neurogenesis, again, that repopulating of brain cells in an area of the hippocampus, which is where memories are formed, called the dentate gyrus, which is one of the few areas of the brain where you actually can get neurogenesis. So there was an old thinking, and I don't remember when we were growing up, everybody talked about this as, you know, all these cells regenerate except for brain cells. Once you lose brain cells, you lose them forever. And that's actually not totally true. Uh, there are specific areas of the brain where we do see uh, regeneration of brain cells, but it is limited. But this is one of the areas where it happens in the dentate gyrus and you will not get neurogenesis if you're chronically stressed. So they did another study looking at rats. Again, rats are the poor things that we study all the time because genetically they're easy to study. Uh, but they exposed rats, young rats, to high doses of adrenal steroids. Uh, and they looked at their level of decline cognitively. And what they saw is that the 
rats who were exposed to high amounts of the steroids had the same cognitive decline as older rats uh, with normal for old rats concentration of steroids in their blood. So basically they turned young rats into old rats from a cognitive standpoint just by giving them steroids. So by decreasing steroids, they've actually seen increases in spatial memory uh, and having neuroprotective effects uh, for rats. So they can actually improve their cognition by decreasing steroids in their blood. Now, there is, again, one caveat to that. And this is, it kind of shows the, you know, we talk about circadian cycles and and sleep, and it kind of relates to this too. If they inject hydrocortisone, a common steroid we use at a time where they have maximum plasma concentration of steroids in their blood, in this case, in the afternoon, they actually saw a decrease in reaction time and improvements in cognition and memory. So again, these are very cyclical things. Our, Our bodies are meant to be cyclical. So that's another reason why this is hard to study because you can't just say, if you do this, then this, because it is time sensitive and and situation sensitive. There are certain times when your body's meant to be stressed. And that's actually kind of a good thing for it because we're meant to kind of get up and go over once in a while. Yeah. The difference between acute stress and chronic stress. And so really having a well-designed study is dependent on so many factors. Yeah. It's very difficult. And that's another reason why I think this is so difficult to just blanket statements, say stress equals bad, because, you know, we know that if we stress our bodies physically, you know, we look at intermittent fasting could potentially be good for people or working out and exercise. You know, it's okay to get your heart rate jacked up every once in a while and get that catecholamine surge. These are good things for the body, but they're probably time dependent. And uh, it makes it very difficult to study because you can't just blanket statements, say these things are good or bad. Yeah. Waking up in the middle of the night to go run for a mile and then try to go back to sleep. <laughs> it's That's a good form of stress with physical exercise, but the wrong time. So it's not going to work out well. Right. And I mean, we can get into others and we're going to get a little bit more into this specifically. So I'll, I'll just touch on this briefly, but stress in the immune system. So the most common response to stress is steroid response. Uh, we see that that's kind of like the classic thinking about the, you know, the, again, the hippocampal pituitary and adrenal axis uh, is kind of the classic thinking. So long-term stress equals increased level of steroids in the uh, in the blood. Uh, but going on beyond that, the lymphatic system also plays a role. So thymus, which is a little bit of lymphatic tissue in your chest. Uh, Wait, pause for a moment. Yeah. Define lymphatic, would you? <clears throat> or lymph, or the lymph system, however you want to do this. Good idea. The lymphatic system is kind of uh, what we think of that kind of... Um, that's the tissue that helps fight infection. It helps, uh, it's kind of where our body mounts our response to to insults, whether that's virus or malignancy or whatever it is. Uh, and it's also where you see kind of the body's way of draining fluid and, and getting things back to where it belongs. So the thymus is this tissue in this, this lymph tissue in the chest. Uh, and you'll actually see that increase uh, ACTH. It's a, it's a peptide, it's a, it's a protein that will eventually lead to increased production in steroids. And this tissue also plays a role, which is kind of surprising. We always thought, again, long-term that lymphatic tissue has nothing to do with this, and specifically the thymus doesn't, but we've studied and found that it does. And we've also found, uh, going back to the brain tissue, that growth hormone is halted during stress. So when you're stressed, they've looked at brain ventricles and how they respond to all this. And, and, and again, these are very complicated stuff, but the bottom line is you get decrease in growth hormone, uh, which means decreased healing uh, and decreased uh, responses to physical stress. So yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, it, it's, it's a multifaceted, uh, it's a very, very complicated approach to look and say that, yeah, your stress will decrease your immune response. And, and it's not just going to lead to decreased ability to fight infection, but you're also going to see decreased ability to fight cancer because your immune system, what it does is it'll recognize cancer cells as well. Uh, so they looked at T cell activity and natural killer cell activity 
when response to stress and they actually get decreased activity of those. And this is why you see a lot of times uh, when they look at those, you'll actually see tumor expansion um, and, and leading to cancer risks rather than just infectious risks. Stress can be devastating. Yeah. Chronically. Chronically, yes. And sometimes acute. Should we have it? Go on. Should we really define the sympathetic nervous system? Probably a good idea. Go on. Why don't you knock that one out? I feel like I've been talking too much. So just to get everyone on the same page, we've mentioned the terms autonomic nervous system, and that's made up of two primary subsystems. One of them is the sympathetic nervous system, and this is really better known as the uh, system that handles the four Fs. Freeze, fight, flight, or reproduce. <laughs> Let you figure out that last F <laughs> on your own. So it's the stuff that really primes your body for action, right? Your eyes are going to respond. Your breathing is going to respond. Your heart rate is going to respond. Your blood vessels are going to respond. Stuff is going to start shunting for the parts of you that need to take action and the parts of you that don't need to take action are going to start shutting down. For example, uh, what you need to digest food or eliminate waste are going to go away the, or just go on passive mode and just be done for a while. While blood is shunted to your muscles, your pupils will dilate so you can take in more light and see things more clearly. The hairs on your skin are going to get a little more erect and just trap heat. I'm actually not sure what the whole point of that yeah, is. Yeah, I don't know either. But I'm sure it was, it's vestigial from when we had fur, I'm sure. Probably. Maybe it puffed us out, made it look bigger. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, it gets us ready to take action. And so we can move, we can do, we can free, well, hopefully we don't freeze because that's usually not helpful unless you're trying to play dead. In which case you should have frozen on the ground, not standing up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but if you need to run, you need the blood flow going to your muscles so you can run. You don't need to be digesting food at that point. That is a waste, right? If you need to fight, well, you need to be just ramped up and aggressive and again, need blood flow to those muscles. Um, that's what it's for. The opposite end, parasympathetic. This is what's often known as the rest and digest system. This is the opposite. You don't really need to be ramped up. You don't need to take action. You need to calm and do those regular things. So your heart rate's going to come down. More blood flow is going to go to your intestine. And you'll do the regular maintenance activities that you need to do. You think that sums it up all right? Yeah, I think that's about right. And it kind of it's kind of a good segue into what we're going to talk about next. And we're going to talk about the cardiovascular system and the GI system. Are kind of next on our on our list. So, that worked out. So yeah, I mean, the cardiovascular system, your sympathetic response, as you described, is your fight or flight. So when it gets revved up and amped up, uh, you're going to increase your heart rate, you're going to increase your blood pressure, you're going to clamp down those those blood vessels that go to the gut, so that you can get blood away from there and kind of go everywhere else that it needs to go in order to fight or flight. Uh, but long term, you also increase your lipids. You become what's called thrombogenic, meaning you're more likely to cause clots. Uh, you get atherogenesis, so formation of clots. Uh, this, of course, long-term leads to heart attacks because you can have closing down of the blood vessels lead to your heart or strokes. You get closing down of the blood vessels lead to the brain. And I guess if you think about it, it makes sense. Yeah, and Go on. Yeah, exactly. If it's short-term and you get cut, right. it's probably best to stop bleeding. Yeah, if you're fighting a lion and the lion bites you, you want your ability to clot blood to be pretty high at that time because you don't want to bleed out from a little yeah. scratch, right? So, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, but long-term, obviously, it has highly detrimental effects. And in our modern society, I think more people die from MIs than line attacks. So it's probably... That's fair. I haven't looked at the stats, but that's I fair. mean, yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked it up either. But 
that that's what I'm thinking. Plus, I mean, even from a, I, I don't know if this is a, a jump off, but leading to increased risky behavior. I mean, if you're stressed, you're more likely to drink or smoke or not take care of yourself or sleep mm-hmm. poorly. And we have already discussed all of the ways in which those lead to increased cardiovascular system risks. Uh, so even the non-direct uh, or the indirect, I should say, uh, effects on the cardiovascular system are pretty profound. Yeah, whether it's coming from the chronic stress or from our detrimental coping skills. Right. Um, and then going to the GI system. Uh, so the GI system is affected in two ways. Uh, first, you've got your appetite and then the function of the GI tract. Uh, so as we stress, uh, we actually tend to eat more. Uh, and there are two ways that that happens, and it doesn't really... They're both, again, brain response in certain areas. Um, but then they go into the function of the GI tract, uh, your absorption of, of what you eat, your intestinal permeability, so your, your intestines can become leakier. Um, and then you actually get increased acid secretion, increased mucus secretion uh, when, you're, when you're stressed. Uh, and then overall inflammation is affected as well. Uh, the main player in this is a substance that's very uh, creatively named substance P. I don't know what P stands for, but that's the <laughs> that's the main molecule that's that's causing problems here typically. Um, and this it was right after substance O. Yeah, I, what substance O do? That's when it was discovered. <laughs> uh, so at least the increased permeability of cells and the recruitment of, of T lymphocytes. So T cells are one of your main types of lymphocytes in your when you're infection and tumor fighting uh, cells in your body, uh, and those T lymphocytes will increase inflammatory markers. Um, you will get increased activation of your hypothalamus, which will jack up your steroid secretion. And then this is kind of a, again, more of a positive feedback loop where you get some stress and you get more stress because now you have more steroids. Uh, and then you get some other steroids or some other molecules involved and basically it leads to releasing of mast cells. Mast cells are, they're, they're kind of like the cell signal, uh, cell of the, um, of the immune system. So they're the ones who release a bunch of junk that tell your other immune system cells to ramp up. And so when that happens, you really start getting uh, increased inflammatory markers. So you'll get people with colitis, which is inflammation of the colon, just based on being stressed. So, you know, I know we see people in the ER with, you know, some of these Crohn's and colitis issues, and they'll, they'll be the first to tell you when they're really stressed, they're much more likely to have a flare of their, of their inflammatory bowel disease, uh, just based on a stress response and nothing else. And just to go back to mast cells, if any of you are asthmatics and your doctor has you on Monte Lucas, yep, that's something that's directly trying to work on mast cells. Yep. So you don't have a terrible flare. Yep. Yep. Trying to decrease them from signaling to the other cells to go nuts and cause, in this case, bronchoconstriction. But um, yeah, it's the same concept. You also get some decrease of removal of water from your lumen of your gut. So that's what you'll see sometimes see people uh, who actually will get diarrhea when they're stressed. Because yeah, by the way, lumen means hole. Yes. Yeah. Or so the inside inner in this tunnel. case. Yeah. And the, so you're going to yeah. have less, less water coming out so more water is going to stay in and then your stools get loose and watery. Uh, and then you can also get based on your responses to some of the steroids and some of these, some of these molecules, you'll get uh, decreased gastric emptying. So you actually, your stomach will empty slower, but then you also by the same method, by the same molecules will cause increased colonic motility. So your colon will squeeze faster. So you'll eat, you'll you'll feel full for longer because your stomach won't won't empty very well. But then when it does move, you'll get diarrhea, which is just kind of all sorts of no fun. And and you can imagine how if that's happening, you're just not absorbing all of everything that you're supposed to absorb very well, uh, and you're not 
your, your GI function just gets all out of whack. And then you get one more one more way you get increased colonic motility is through serotonin release. And when we're stressed, our serotonin levels tend to go up and that will also cause you to have more diarrhea. Um, and some people do get constipated with these things too. And I'm sure there's a, there's a play in how that works. But in general, this is the response that you get. Is this why people poop their pants? During stress? Yeah. No. We'll, we're actually going to talk about that in a, in a different <laughs> in a different uh, oh, podcast that actually is going to looking forward to it. That actually is going to come up. Um, we're going to do a uh, a podcast on stress and performance, and it's a little bit uh, a little more in detail. But no, that's not why. <laughs> Just had to ask because I know someone's thinking it. And and that's kind of the most of it. I mean, with the, obviously stress has an effect on the endocrine system as well. But the endocrine system we've already discussed pretty much in detail with all these things, and that has an effect on all these things individually. So rather than go into the details of all that, and again, if you want to look this stuff up, I'm sure you can find all sorts of the fun pathways. I just feel like it's beyond the scope of what we're talking about now. But basically to sum up, you, you in general get poor memory, poor cognition, decreased learning capability. You have decreased risk or a decreased ability to fight infection, decreased ability to fight cancer cells. Uh, you get increased chance of heart disease, strokes, um, which, I mean, I guess can also lead to kidney disease. I mean, you know, we know that if you have vasoconstriction, so clamping down on those arteries lead to the kidneys, you also can get uncontrolled blood pressure problems and then lead to renal failure. Uh, decreased absorption of, of nutrients from your gut, decreased ability to appropriately push things through the gut at the right rate, uh, and all sorts of other um things that I guess we haven't touched, you know, touched based on what the increased steroid level can lead to weight gain and, you know, which can also put you at risk for other things here. But it's, it's kind of everything that you can think of in your health is affected by, by these uncontrolled levels of long-term stress. Yeah. And just think, I mean, in the world today, most people are living with a high level of chronic stress. Yeah. And when they go to deal with it, they're dealing with it with in ways that are actually not helpful, right? Long, stressful day at work. Let's go to happy hour. Eat lots of greasy food and drink alcohol. Right, right. It's 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 not helping. It's true, <laughs> and, it, and it makes things worse, um, especially when you talk about you know the effect. Even those habits themselves and, and stress itself affect on sleep, and about how that can mm-hmm. ramp up everything even more. And it really does become a positive feedback loop for negativity in your life. And and you think like AKA a vicious cycle. Yeah, and, and you and you think about. You know, everybody's like, oh, I feel so good when I'm on vacation. It's not just because you're on vacation. You probably do feel better. There's probably some legitimacy yeah. behind the fact that, yeah, you feel a ton better because you're not as stressed. And then you come back to your work and your grind and we don't deal with it well. And all of a sudden we're like, you know, miserable and then we feel worse. Our, you know, we're constipated or having diarrhea or, you know, fatigued and lightheaded or palpitations or, you know, feel like we're in a fog. Yeah, 100% of that stuff can be caused by stress. Now, so how do you, should we get into how we can deal with it or should we save that for later? I think we save that for later. This is a a pretty long, a pretty long, uh, (laughs) podcast already, but I was going to, anyone who was wondering will now be kept in suspense. Yes. But I I was going to say, it's one of my favorite questions in the ER. I shouldn't say favorite questions. It's, it's a pretty poignant question the patients ask, you know, they'll come in with these very vague symptoms, you know, lightheaded and fatigued and kind of all the things that I just talked about. And a lot of times we, you know, we work them up. We don't actually find anything objective in our blood work or scans or x-rays or EKGs or whatever. And they always ask, you know, can stress cause this? And I tell them, listen, yeah, stress can do anything it wants to. Stress can cause whatever (laughs) negative effect it wants to on your body. And sometimes, you know, I'm hesitant necessarily in the ER to say, yeah, this is definitely due to stress because there's a lot of things we have to rule out to make sure nothing bad's going on. Mm -hmm. But 
Yeah, the answer is almost always yes. Yeah, it's the answer that can stress do it is always yes. But the the question of is stress doing this thing that's happening right now to me right, right. now? That's much, that's what we're not so sure. Much harder to figure out. <laughs> yeah. But that about sums it up. Um, I don't know. Anything to add? No, except my other favorite question. Uh, not a favorite, but my other liked question that I get when people come in coughing and sneezing with fevers. They ask, is this contagious? <laughs> y- yes. That's how you got it. You're, and that's how it will spread to the next person. So, yes, it's contagious. Yeah. Uh, if you're coughing and sneezing and you have fever, stay home. <laughs> yeah. Wear a mask. Yeah, and wear a mask. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Yes, wear a mask. Even if it's not COVID. <laughs> yeah. Because there's still other stuff. Anyway, yeah. That is a good summary. I can't wait till next time. Yeah. And uh, we will talk soon about more stuff here. So um, reminder, check out the website, cprhealthclinic.com slash mindfulness to see how we're teaching people to deal with stress to become more mindful, which is very interrelated. And uh, we'll see you next time. In the meantime, take care out there. And remember, the way you live can save your life.